This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. I have entitled today's Bible study, Constraining Grace. Constraining Grace. And our primary text will be Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And in this, I want to demonstrate out of Scripture two basic principles. Number one, the church, that is the people of God, the people who believe in Jesus and are saved by grace through faith, that's the church, and it's transdenominational. It's made up of individuals in spiritual relationship with God. It has expression in various kinds of denominational entities, and I'm not going to go into that, but nevertheless, the church is made up of people who believe in Christ and are spiritually connected to God through faith in Christ. That according to the Bible, is the church. So when I say the church, that's who I'm talking about. The church, according to Scripture, is God's conduit for saving grace. It is the church that communicates the message to the world about how to be right with God. The church stands independent from the state. The church is not to dominate the state. The church's job is to Build the kingdom of God. We're not here to, quote unquote, make America a Christian nation, except in the sense of winning a lot of people inside America to faith in Christ that by indirect influence would make the country a Christian country in that most of the people in the country or a minority of the people in the country would be Christians. That's all we're saying when we say Christian America, just that a lot of people in America are Christians. Now then, the state, that is the organized state of the United States, the various state governments, all the way down to the local city and county governments, the state is God's conduit of constraining grace. We're going to show where scripture teaches that. The state has a role, and the first aspect of its role is negative. It is to stop us from doing something. Man has a fallen nature. Man is a sinner. There's two ways to deal with man. One, the positive way is to put him in right relationship with God so that the inner constraint of the Spirit of God in his life makes him behave as God would have us all behave. But on the other hand, not everybody is going to do that. So God, in his grace, has put a deterrent in rampant evil by imposing. The principle of the state has the right and the authority to constrain evil. Now, there is unfortunately out there, in even some Christian circles, a false teaching that says that when man fell in the Garden of Eden, that the world and, and all of its systems were turned over to Satan. The answer to that is no, that's never what the Bible taught. What the Bible taught was because man sinned, the consequences of that sin immediately begin to take effect, what we call the second law of thermodynamics, and the process of death started. God said, if you disobey me, which was a lack of faith on man's part, not believing God, then the consequence will be dying, you will die. And that passed on to all the created order. Now, the process of that being undone has already begun in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is recreating the world, this time from the inside out. 
The first time he created the world, it was from the outside in. He created, first of all, matter. Now, you say, was Jesus the creator? Yeah, John chapter 1, verse 1 says that he is the creating aspect of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and nothing was made except through and by him. So God the Father, working through God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit, created everything. He created matter, first of all, and then out of matter he created the earth, and then he created the universe to support the earth, and then as the apex of creation, on the sixth day of creation, he created man. And then gave man an option to believe him, to trust him, or to not. And man chose to disbelieve, thus plunging us into the current mess we've been in for about the last 6,000 years. So, Jesus, on the day he walked out of the tomb, in that three-day period when he died for our sins, was placed in the tomb, and then rose from the dead, at that point began immediately the process of reclamation. And it starts spiritually by reclaiming your soul and putting yourself spiritually right with God through faith in Christ. Now, in the temptation series that Jesus faced after his 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness, the devil came to him with a series of temptations. And one of those temptations went like this. I'm reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. And he, that is Satan, led him, that is Jesus, up and showed him, that is Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time. He gave Jesus a view of human history, so to speak. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, I will be yours. Now listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, Satan was lying to Jesus and offering him a false dichotomy. The world had not been turned over to Satan. And Jesus, in his humanity, fulfilling the law of God, said, Look, devil, you're supposed to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. By the way, devil, I, Jesus would say by implication, am the Lord your God. So you can't offer me something that you don't have. You're lying. Now, to prove that that's what Jesus meant, you go to John chapter 8, verse 44, in a discussion with some men who were plotting to kill Jesus. And Jesus said, I know what you're thinking and I know what you're doing, even though they were denying it. And then a few weeks down the road, they actually carried it out. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, all that bunch that was in cahoots and plotting to get rid of him because they rejected his claim as being the Messiah, even though he had abundantly demonstrated the fact that he was the Messiah, the God-man come. He said to these people, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Their actions demonstrated that where they were coming from was from an evil place, from an evil source. He, that is the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. That's where murder comes from. It comes from the devil and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. There is absolutely not one truthful thing in Satan, not one. Whatever Satan tells you, is a bald-faced lie. And then Jesus makes that very clear when he says, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Therefore, in the temptation sequence, when the devil was tempting Jesus, he was lying. Okay, the kingdoms of this world are under God's control. 
It doesn't mean that they do everything that God says or behave like God wants them to. And kingdoms, nations, get judged by God. I think it was Madison who said that nations get judged in this world, in the lifespan of the nation. That's when God judges nations. We get judged, in the most part, in the hereafter. But nations get judged in the here and now. And God does hold nations accountable. And maybe one of these days in one of the Bible studies I'm going to do, I will go back and show you in history how God has both blessed and judged the United States because God holds this nation as a nation state accountable for certain things. But the question today is, is how is the state a conduit of constraining grace? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. This is in a section where Paul is talking about how an individual Christian, how an individual believer in Jesus Christ is supposed to behave in society. Paul, when he wrote the letter, was living outside the commonwealth of Israel. The nation state of Israel was slated for judgment because of their rejection of Jesus as Messiah. Paul knew that. But Paul was also a Roman citizen. And so Paul was saying, how do I, as a member of a nation state, how am I, as a Christian, submitted to God, supposed to behave in relationship to this state that is outside of the church's control? How am I supposed to do that? And he's very clear about it. Giving a revelation from God. Let me remind you, it is our belief as believers, as Christians, that the Bible is inspired, that is, inaugurated by and blessed by the Spirit of God and gives us exactly what God wants us to know through the people that he revealed these truths to. All right, so here's God speaking. Every person, that's you and that's me, even if you're a legislator, you're still a citizen of the state of Michigan, a still a citizen of the county in which you live. If you live in a township, you're a citizen of that town. Okay, therefore, you have some obligations as a citizen to them, and but you also have some obligations, if you're a believer, to God in your relationship to them, all right? Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. That means you, that means me. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, to back that up, in the trial of Jesus, Pilate was questioning Jesus and says, don't you know I have the authority to release you or kill you? And Jesus said, you don't have any authority except what's given to you. Jesus made it very clear to Pilate that he was in charge, not Pilate. And he put Pilate on the spot, judged Pilate, and Pilate failed. As a consequence, ladies and gentlemen, that brought some consequences on all civil government, therefore, moving forward from Pontius Pilate, because our system of government is a direct lineage from Rome. Now, we've made some considerable improvements on it, but it is part and parcel of that philosophical political structure. Now then, those authorities which exist were established by God. That doesn't mean they can do everything they want to. It means they're going to be held accountable, but the authority exists because of God putting it there to do something. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. In other words, there is a consequence to disobeying the state rules. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. So here we have clearly delineated that the purpose of 
the government is to constrain evil and to praise good and to make it possible for good to operate and to have its opportunity to be expressed. For it, that is, government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. And to back this up, God has given over to the state the principle of the, what I talked about last week, the monopoly on violence. It doesn't carry the sword for nothing. It's not a dress sword. It is an actual tool. Now, we know today, that, of course, the sword has become more sophisticated and more advanced weaponry. But nevertheless, the state has the right to say, we hold the monopoly on that. It does not carry the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. In other words, we're not to go out and seek personal revenge on things. We are to work through a due process of law to avenge and punish evil, punish lawbreaking with various levels of punishment. And the state has the right to back it up with deadly force. That is something that God gave the state. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. So there's another element. I, as a believer, as a part of my witness, am supposed to demonstrate good citizenship. Therefore, I keep the speed limit. Therefore, I pay my local property taxes. Therefore, I submit myself to any regulation the government has unless it commands me not to preach the gospel. I will not lie for the government. The government is out of bounds if it asks me not to do something that is in conflict with my religion. And also, it is er erroneous for the government to make me pay for something that I consider immoral, for example, like abortion. Now, that's just my personal opinion. But nevertheless, the state has limits on what it can do. But the principle of law as a governing, controlling device is not evil. It is something God put into place in a fallen world because our conscience doesn't always operate like it should. So God said, in order to honor your conscience, which is enhanced when you receive Christ as Savior, and also the conscience is, is around in every person, there's a, there's a check and balance inside every human being. There's a right and wrong switch and God holds us accountable for that. But externally, the state can put pressure on me and to say, now, look, if you're going to drive an automobile that weighs upwards up to two tons or more, then you have to have some regulations on it. And therefore, I have the right to say you can only drive certain fast in certain areas and I can put a cap on all of that. All of that is done because we have to live in an ordered society and we can't just let people run pell-mell and do whatever they want to. Also, the government says, I can't allow you to take somebody else's property in theft. I can't allow you to arbitrarily take matters of law into your own hands and, and to violently hurt somebody. I cannot allow you to murder somebody. All these things are put into place to protect me from others and others from me in order that society would go on. And he also said, verse 6, but for because of this, the need to have this kind of policing power in place you also pay taxes. Now, taxation, of course, is always a question of how much tax do we pay? And scripture is clear about overdoing it and taxing people beyond their means, which is literally robbery. 
if it goes beyond a certain point. It says, because of this, you pay taxes for rulers are servants. Now get this, listen to me. Rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. So rulers need to understand that they are held accountable by God for the rules they pass, for being consistent in their conformity to them themselves, and for having a just system of taxation in order to support the corporate work of the state necessary to make corporate life necessary. Verse 7 then says, Render to all what's due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All my life as a Christian in the churches that I've attended, I have been taught as a citizen in those churches that I am to honor the office. When I respect the office of governor or I respect the office of a state legislator or even a police officer patrolling the street, I don't necessarily endorse everything that person is doing. And I have the right under law, by the way, which the state passed to insist that that person behave himself or herself within the law. I still honor that office, even though I don't necessarily agree with nor like the person that holds it. It's not a matter of my personal opinion about it. In other words, the office of the president of the United States is to be honored. The office of the governor of, say, the Michigan is to be honored and to be given due respect. Now, when election time comes around, I can determine who I want that to be. And in the meantime, if things are going haywire and I have the right to protest it, the government has passed laws that says I have that right and they will protect my right to do that. So all he's saying is, here's, look, read the laws of your land and live within them. Demonstrate good citizenship and care for your fellow man by being a law-abiding citizen. Peter backs this up in his letter. First Peter, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So there again is that conduit of constraining grace that the government is supposed to have. It is a punish evil and to praise and make possible good deeds. For such is the will of God. Notice what he says here. Such is the will of God by doing right that you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. How does a free man act? He freely chooses to be an honest, law-abiding citizen. That's how he chooses to be. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. You can say, well, I'm a free man under Christ. I don't have to submit to these rules. I'm above that. No, you're not. But as a bond slave of God, God is here telling me as a Christian, to the degree that I can, unless the government commands me to do something that is in a violation of Scripture, then I can, in obedience to God, be submissive to and be obedient to the laws of my land. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Loving God means loving my fellow man. And which ones? All of them. And then give some special attention to the brotherhood. That is my fellow believers. And then I am to hold God in reverence. And then I am to honor the king. So this forms the Christian doctrine of the Christian's obligation to the nation state. Now, we live in a republic, and I'm not going to go into all of that at this point, but in a republic, the concepts of the kind of republic we should have grew out of that Christian worldview. In fact, one of our founders said, our constitution, our country was built for a moral and religious people. It won't work for anything else. So part of the assumption that the founders of this nation made, both of the national government and the individual states of the original 
13 states of the United States, one of the founding ideas among those people was this biblical notion of the importance of the individual conscience governed by commitment to God and moral principle in order to make the system of government that we have truly functional and make it work. I think that's why it is important that we have constant true training in what citizenship is all about and where its authority comes from. But that would be a topic for another study. In the meantime, let me just say this to you as a legislator. You are doing part of God's work. So my encouragement to you is to trust him and to look to him for wisdom in doing what you do because you're not there by accident. This is part of God's plan. Make sure that you're doing it for good as you go about your work. I'm sure you are. Thank you for your service. May God richly bless you.